Welcome to Dark Horse Matters, the show about people, their passions, and their pursuit toward happiness. I'm your host, Bev Matayoshi, and my passion is talking to people about their dreams and their driving forces in life. And the more I talk to people on this show, I, I realize that, you know, when people are on uh, the pursuit towards something that they're passionate about, they just have this powerful energy about them, you know, and it's so amazing because they just all of them have they just want to share you know their experiences their um success stories and you know their struggles and especially if it inspires others so before i uh introduce my guest today i just want if you're just joining us don't forget to like and subscribe and you know i just want to welcome you to the passionate community <laughs> and then um yep hit the notification bell so you can be notified every single time uh i have a new guest a new video that i post the person i invited today is another old friend of mine um who has inspired me for a couple of decades now gosh i feel old saying that um but he still inspires me to this day, you know, and I consider him the culture creator. He's the creator of culture. I've always felt that way about him. And, and you know, that's the subject that we're gonna be talking about today is culture, the importance of it in life and whatever surrounding you're in business or, um, you know, whatever passionate, you know, dream that you're pursuing. It's very important phenomenon and concept. So please give a warm welcome to Bryce Watanabe. Hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hi, Bryce. I love the fact that you bust out all the bells and whistles for the, for the intro. It's my green time. felt like I was walking out on stage. Yeah. Hey, it's like I'm on, it... it's like I'm on Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, you got to get creative on Zoom, man. Like the energy is just not the same as it is in person. No. But thank you so much for coming on the show, Bryce. I, I really appreciate, you know, just reconnecting with you. Uh, I mean, we've known each other, I mean, almost our whole lives. I mean, gosh. For a while now. I really appreciate what you said at the top, uh, Bev. That's, that means a lot to me. I never thought of myself that way. And uh, to hear it come out of your mouth kind of validates a lot of what I do at work. So I, pre I appreciate that. That's awesome. Oh, cool. I mean, I've always felt that way about you. You're like the person uh, when you walked into the room, it's like, okay, now the party can start, you know? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I felt like I've, I've always felt like you were kind of good at being that person that brings people together. So it's funny that you see me as that person because I kind of always saw you as that person. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, I, I just want to kind of go down memory lane a little bit because We've known each other for such a long time. I'm trying to think like, I think I indirectly met you in the seventh grade because you were in band with my twin sister, Kim. <laughs> but I wasn't, I wasn't in band, so I didn't really know you directly. And, but we shared a lot of the same friends, but it wasn't until college that I actually really became friends with you. Is that how you remember it too? That's and, pretty much how I remember. I always remember you guys being this like force. So whenever the Mateyoshi sisters were involved in anything, whether or not it was a, a play or a conversation like down the hallway, there was always a buzz around there. So I always I always knew where you were and what you guys were were doing when you were coming down the halls and stuff. Um, but I never, yeah, we never got a chance to really get to know each other until until a little bit later. When we got when we were in our our college phase yeah, uh, yeah. having adventures together you know i i do remember one incident though in high school um that i kind of had a one on my first real one-on-one -on -one interaction with you we were in the same english class and we would always have breakfast you know like in the cafeteria and our english class was like all the way at the end of the campus so Usually, you know, we were like borderline tardy, you know, by the time we got there. I remember one day, because our teacher would lock us out, you know, and then after she yep. took attendance, she would let us in. And we got locked out and it was a bunch of us. We're all sitting outside the class and, you know, just kind of kicking it for a few minutes while she took attendance. 
And I just remember thinking, cause I don't know, we were just talking about, I don't know, just, you know, being bad, you know, <laughs> yeah. it was just like but commiserating. Yeah. But we're also like so nerdy, you know? So I was just like thinking in my head, ah, he's, he's a lot cooler, you know, not, not as nerdy as I thought he was. <laughs> yeah. We were, we were the nerd, we were the nerdy, uh, we were the bad kids out of the nerdy kids. I would, <laughs> that's, that's the way I would describe where we were at in the totem pole. Definitely weren't with the popular crew. We were somewhere between, I'm pretty sure we were probably just shoved off to the side completely. Yeah. I, my group of friends, we were very cliquish and we realized this after high school ended. It was like, wow, you know, there are so many cool people in high school that we went to school with that we kind of didn't even give a chance to get to know because we, we were so stuck in our own mindset of, yeah, man, nobody wants, you know, like we're the outcast kind of a mentality. So, but you know, I, I specifically remember that day, Beth, because I believe I got into a car accident that morning and I was so mad, I was so pissed off because I went into class to try to explain and our teacher, I won't name names, was like, nope, out. So I was, I was like, are you kidding me? I just got into an accident. You're gonna make me sit outside. So I, re I remember commiserating with you and uh, yeah, basically just crap talking. You were just being a bunch of rebels. I love it. Bunch of jerks, yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny that we remember that day. It was just such yeah. a random day in high school out of all the other days. And but... then we got to know each other super good after that. Yes, yes. In college, like, cause we moved to Los Angeles and um, I, during that period, I remember I dropped out. It was after one semester, I dropped out of college at USC. And I just remember being super depressed, you know, like, oh, you know, feeling like a total loser. I, I, you know, I didn't know what, what I was gonna do. And you just happened to be in that, you know, space in LA. And I just remember spending a lot of time with you and just um, enjoying the whole period of not doing anything like the fact that i i had someone to you know be there for me during that time yeah. when i you know you're trying to find your identity you have no yeah. idea what, who you are and um i just remember loving that time that we spent together even if it was Aww. just like you know what i mean like discovery, I loved it too. that discovery yeah it period. was it was meant to be because I was going through the same thing. I think I don't know if I told you this whole piece, but <clears throat> when I went to uh, when I went to UH, I didn't really want to go. I I really wanted to go to art school, right? So I was pitching this to my parents, and and my dad was super super fair guy. He he said, "Listen, this is what we're working with. So you can go to San Fran Academy of the Art College, uh, but I, and I can guarantee I have enough to pay for one year." And after that, I don't know. But here's the price of the University of Hawaii. And so he like showed me comparatively, and I could pretty much go to UH for all four years at the time. I think tuition was ridiculously low. It was like sixteen hundred or something super low like that. And uh, for residents, and so I was like, you know, I'll make the responsible decision. I'll stay in Hawaii. And then I really hated myself for that decision. <laughs> <laughs> I saw all of my, uh, a lot of my friends like Carrie uh, go away to school and, uh, you know, really having all these awesome, outstanding experiences that I was just like still in Hawaii, you know. Uh, and when you went to UH that first year, it was kind of strange because if you saw anyone from Castle or anybody that you remotely recognized from, you know, the before times, uh, you kind of like gave them a hug. You saw them on campus. You ran over. It's like, hi. How are you doing? Are you surviving? Right. Um, and so it was like being it was like being thrown into that uncomfortable college situation, but nothing new in terms of outside of campus. Everything else was you're just still in Hawaii, and everybody else is kind of I, I, that's the way I felt. Everyone else is kind of like you know off on their big adventure. So I I dropped out too, and. Um, when I told my parents that I remember them being very pissed off and concerned because they're both teachers, right? 
And uh, then I went couch surfing in California. And, uh, and yeah, meeting you at the time where we met was so good for me, like for my mental health to have somebody else going through what I was going through. Um, Cause we were fighting ourselves and it was rocky and weird, but it was super fun, right? Like yeah. I would not trade that for anything. Yes, so much fun. And the music that we wrote, you know, like I just remembered that period of my life. Like I just, writing songs was so important to me. It was like my way of journaling what I was going through, you know? And, you know, the fact that we got to write songs together, I just, you know, I love that. I love that so much. I will always cherish that song we wrote together. One more quarter. Yeah. It, it, it just like, <laughs> it just like really speaks that time in, in Los Angeles that we spent together. So thank you, Bryce, for that experience. I will oh, never you. forget. I'll do a coffee cheers to that. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, like growing up in Hawaii and your parents are teachers, uh, I know because they were my teachers. <laughs> your dad was. <laughs> Actually, you're in my so class awkward. when your dad was. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I never took sex ed from my own father. That's, that would have been torture. I totally remember you being in that class. That's the way that you wanted to remember it to make it even more awkward for me. No, that was, <laughs> that never happened. I did, um, I did health and guidance. I think it was uh, Miss Mark. No, I can't remember. Yeah. But I know it wasn't my father. We had to have that conversation. You know, the person that, that's the worst. But yeah, to know that your dad is teaching all of your peers about the birds and the bees pretty much encouraged me to cut school and everything. That's, <laughs> that's what that did. Oh my God, that is so funny. <laughs> it's so shame, like, damn, really <laughs> couldn't have taught any other class. <laughs> uh, but you know what, like, you just like you know you came out of it with grace <laughs> I, I totally you know you could have been totally damaged from that but you know well, you're... i think i'm pretty damaged <laughs> i don't know if it's from that <laughs> probably has something to do with it oh that's so funny um <laughs> so like i i just wanted to kind of um go into like this whole topic of culture because because um one you know because of how you know, I felt felt about you like when when we're in college together or like, you know, during that time in Los Angeles, you know, just I just remember feeling like, you know, like there's certain people that create this energy when they enter a room or if you're in a event or some kind of, um, you know, party or something and there's a very specific feeling you get, you know, in the space. I don't know, like I, to me, I think that has that's kind of what culture is you know you you just but like i just wanted to find out like what what do you think your what is your definition of culture like how would how do you define it yeah you you just kind of hit the nail on the head right there when you when you walk into a place or a space um whether that's a workspace or a family space or friends that feeling that you get just by the way people are being with each other is culture to me is like that kind of defines um the basics of culture and i i see it i see it as an expression of our values right and that's kind of what it is when when we celebrate when we um have tough times we, we handle problems when we navigate difficult conversations that's all that shows up <clears throat> as an expression of our values so that's pretty much what culture begins to be. It's like the story that you tell yourself when you wake up in the morning, put your feet up on the floor, uh, whether or not that story comes from your parents or you've trained yourself to be that way. Uh, but you bring that to, that's what you bring to the table. That's your contribution to culture. Right. And, you know, I, I just look at this generation now, like the generation that my kids are in, you know, like, and it's just it's so different from when we grew up you know and i'm just like because this whole idea the whole phenomenon of culture and it, it it's like how does 
how do you learn that? Like, is it just natural, you know? And this whole digital era where, you know, kids are in school learning on the computer now, you know, like that's gotta be different, you know, like how, how do they learn that specific way of creating culture, you know, and just, and it's difficult, especially with their face in a device all the time, you know, and me What's too. What's gonna happen? That's the, that's the scary thing. And that's what we're seeing in America, right? It's gonna happen. Culture is going to happen, whether or not we're intentional about it or not. So, it really is about bringing attention to how you show up, to understand that we're all accountable for this space that we're living in, right? And Right. like, so a good example, you, your kids, uh, how do you handle? Because all all parents nowadays have different answers when I when I uh, talk or observe. How do you handle their um, screen time, their digital time? I don't Is it handle pretty fast? them. Yeah. They're just they they get they get it. And so if your son was at the dinner table and you're talking to him and then he starts playing Minecraft in the middle of your conversation about school, do you say anything or you just let him play? It's just like whatever. Just play play Minecraft. <laughs> I, I actually, if we're actually sitting together and trying to have a conversation, I turn off the TV and, you know, the devices are down. But, you know, if I'm I'm trying to distract them because I'm working, you know, like Yeah. the devices are just like, here you go. You know, like It's it's gold. terrible. It's terrible. No, but it, it's a tool, and I've seen people use it uh, effectively that way. Um, sometimes it can be ineffective, but yeah, no. If you just—that's a great example, though. When when you're talking together and you're saying, "Don't turn off the TV," you know, that's a total example of culture, right? Here, he's learning what your boundaries are, your values are around <clears throat> your focused attention when it comes to family time or whatever that is. Yeah. But it, these it, kids are going to need more guidance, I think, because we never had to. We were lucky. Like the things that were pulling our attention away were not things that were trying to sell us stuff. They were like just stuff that was around our house. We didn't have this constant pull of attention away from what was going on. So I think, I think for our generation, we're used to just making our own fun, right? Like making our own. finding out ways to engage ourselves in the world. And I think the kids nowadays are going to have to do kind of the opposite is just filter out some of the engagement and realize like, which one do I not pay attention to? Because this is not good for me, right? Right, right. And gosh, parents have to, we really have to be the ones that guide them on that because it, it, it'll be just almost impossible for them to just figure it out on their own, you know. Yeah, for sure. But um, I, I wanted to ask you, like, you're, what do you do for a living now? Like you in the beginning said that, you know, had a lot to do with your, your job and what you do today. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do for a living? Yeah, this is not something I ever thought I would be doing, but I am a patient experience manager for uh, Hawaii Pacific Health. So we're a large healthcare organization in Hawaii. And my role is to kind of look after the best practice workflows for um, the, the, the best tactics or strategies to, to forge stronger relationships With people so there's a lot that I do that has a lot to do with coaching or communication training um, I talk a lot about values and culture at work because when I first kind of stepped foot into the job I kind of approached it from a very linear perspective and I was like okay if my job is to look after our patient experience scores then I'm just gonna go and look at who's not doing well and talk to them and You know, tell them this is what you should be doing to get higher patient experience scores. But then I realized that um, none of that none of that stuff is ever sustainable unless you have a good understanding of a culture that that person has to show up to every day and has to you know what they're up against essentially. It, nobody can just pull out these tools that we give people um, and just apply them to the world around them without really understanding how the cultural how the culture is going to impact the way they interface and the way they bring those tools and show up. So, so much more of my work, I'd say 50% of my work now 
is about creating a more positive work culture so that I can train more effective communication strategies and, and get folks to really understand or feel connected to the reason why they're in healthcare and, and the point of wanting to you know, communicate clearly with somebody. So easy in our day-to-day -day, uh, to lose track of why we wanted to do this in the first place. And so it's easy to start checking boxes and, and that's when we run into trouble, especially in patient experience when you're trying to like forge relationships with people, right? Right. What is your biggest challenge? Like, because I mean, how many people are you training at a time? Like, is it a lot? I mean, give us an idea of like how much people we're, we're dealing with here. So it's usually not a huge group. I'd say the maximum would be like 15 to 20. And then uh, I also do like a smallest one to one. So it depends on the situation. But if I'm training like a batch of new hire employees, that are um, that have this class that I kind of talk about the best practice behaviors and what culture, excuse me, uh, looks like at HPH. Then it's about twenty. Okay. Anywhere between like ten and twenty, and then if I'm doing coaching with somebody who's struggling, it's more one-on-one -on -one stuff. The most challenging thing to me is um, some folks aren't ready, or some folks aren't really as self-aware as other folks. And so they're not ready for coaching. And so the conversation can't even get to that point where you're like, okay, let's talk about improvement because they don't want to improve. They don't think that there's a problem. They don't like feedback and they don't like the fact that, you know, someone's giving them feedback. And so I think the hardest part of the job is kind of meeting them where they're at and then actually starting from like mindfulness and the importance of feedback. And, you know, it's incredible how many people don't appreciate feedback and and still get defensive even though they're like what 10 15 20 years into their career um, and not realizing that that that's an important free tool to to make yourself you know a master of what you do right you know a lot of it is just maturity you know like i feel like when i turned 40 something switched in me the level of maturity i don't know if it's that number what what it is being a parent i don't know maybe all of it together but that level of maturity is directly associated with self-awareness like the the ability to be aware of your emotions what emotions you're feeling if you're not focused on learning that i mean i guess you're physiological response is to just get defensive when people try yeah. to point out your flaws, you know? And I, I mean, to me, I think it's just a level of maturity. If people are not able to do that, to see it, they're just emotionally immature, you know, like it, you have to be aware of, you know, your behaviors, you know, how you're feeling in order to improve. But like you said, a lot of people don't, they don't think they need improvement and that's, that is that's that's definitely the biggest challenge yeah yeah and sometimes you know it is like working with somebody to the point where you have a talk and you say maybe maybe this is just not the right field like maybe you're just maybe this isn't the right fit maybe you know um want to be on the, you want to help your your staff or whoever you're coaching to feel like they're on the on the path that's right for them and sometimes that means yeah Maybe it's not the same path that we're on. Right. That's definitely a, a hurdle. <laughs> it's a hurdle for sure. But I don't know. I, that's like something that I just love about um, maybe just even talking about it on this show, like just learning, you know, people's when you're when you're passionate about something, you know, that you're working toward, it's so much easier to, you know, pinpoint you know what all the, your the the periods of growth that you you know you experience because when you're when you have a goal and you're working toward that you know you want to do whatever you can to achieve that goal and if you're your most of the time we're our own um enemies our own 
our, the hurdles that we're coming across are our own. It's, we're creating our own barriers, <laughs> you know, like, so I, I just feel like um, it, it's, it's all part of growing up, you know, you just have to, um, you have to make a decision, you know, on, you know, what you want in life. And it's hard because a lot of people don't even know what they want. They kind of just, yeah. It is, uh, it is definitely, I think, attributed to kind of where you are in life. And I think you're right. Like a lot of it has to do with, if not the big, the number four, oh, just the, <clears throat> just the concept that you're, you're in a place and you're ready to, to start learning more and listening more. Cause it's really easy to like, well, when you're young, right? Like this is the way I was. As soon as you learn something, you just want to share it. And I was, because I was modeling after like all the other educators, there's so many educators in my family. We all love to tell, we, we love telling people what to do, right? <laughs> um, but then, then you get to a point where you realize that if you want sustainable change, it's not about telling people what to do, it's about listening to where they're at. And then when you get to that point, you're like, oh shit. I, or, or, oh, shoot, I haven't really even um, been doing this for myself. And you start, you know, looking for for more um, for more pieces of knowledge, not, to sh not just so that you can share it with other people, but so you can actually ingest it and actually bring it, um, bring some of those tools to your own life. So I myself find, I find myself in the same position as you are now. I am, um, I, I, I used to think self, the self-help section in uh, you know the bookstore was like a bunch of quacks and you know I just very cynical about the whole concept of um, you know the self help section in a bookstore. But now that's like the first place I go to. I want to learn from thought leaders, business leaders, what what made them successful. How can I you know stand on the shoulders of other people who have done the work and really apply that stuff to myself? I feel like I'm ready. I feel like I'm prime. Right. Um, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the age, like you said, um, but, or the maturity, like you said, um, but I definitely feel that, uh, that kind of fire now to be like, okay, it's time to apply this stuff. You know, um, I, I have a very specific story about self-help. <laughs> uh, my sister, Daphne, she uh, gave me a book that really changed my life. It, it's, that that book called the four agreements by don ruiz don miguel ruiz or something i think that's his name i i should know his name because that book changed my life yeah. but she gave me that book when i was going through some stuff and i think i sold it on ebay like that that was like my reaction to her giving me that book like i'm just like stop trying to change me you know you know right. like that total immature type of reaction to, you know, a gift of a book that's supposed to help you better yourself, right? And then years later, she gave that book to me again. I don't know if she forgot that she gave it to me, but she gave it to me again for Christmas. But this time I I read it and I was just like, wow, it, it just opened my eyes, you know, to a totally different way of thinking. And I just appreciate that. And I, I, I'm so glad she gave it to me again because I literally sold it on eBay the first time. <laughs> that was the four agreements. I gotta, I gotta get that from you later. Yeah, that, it's, it's amazing. It just kind of, um, it's so simple, the concepts, you know, like um, it's just be like, be, be honest. Like you have to be honest. You have to um, don't take anything personally, you know, simple concepts like that like i but it's hard to implement stuff like that in your in your life you know like don't take anything personally just think about that for a second <laughs> that's like the major thing that causes anger in life oh, right totally <laughs> especially when it's the people that you love the most exactly and that is something that you have complete control over nobody else has control over that but yourself and that probably is the, the number one thing that really hit home for me from reading that book was don't take anything personally, because if you can do that, I mean, your level of happiness and 
peace is just i mean it is night and day and nobody has control over that but yourself you know i gotta i gotta uh get i'm gonna i'm gonna check that out because i struggle with that uh still to this day a lot like at work professionally i think it's pretty easy for me to separate if i get professional feedback or criticism i'm like yeah sure i'm game let's do this i'm all about improving what's best for the outcome right but in my personal life i struggle with um with not taking things personally it is something that i've always struggled with i know i've always struggled with it and uh yeah so i'm gonna hit you up for yeah and um yes and i think there's a fifth one out now and i think it has a lot to do with listening which you said is very important um so when we when i was thinking about like um this whole phenomenon of culture uh, do you think that that is like a natural that's a, a human if it's part of humanity, like it's something natural that humans have to have um, as yeah. a group of people, you know, like yeah. uh, I just think think it's just it's interesting when I think about it, like the the need that we have as humans to have culture yeah. and it could be good or bad, just depending on, you know, the way it's set up. Um, I watched this. Um, this. Uh, Netflix uh, documentary on pop pop music. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it, it's new. It just kind of came up and they had this one episode just on festivals, music festivals and the culture of music festivals. A really cool episode. But just, you know, the fact that one person who had a vision, you know, could create this very specific peaceful culture with all these thousands of people in one space, you know, and everyone's just happy and having a good time, you know, listening to music. But and then they have that one concert, the Woodstock, they when they brought it back in the 1990s, you know, that was supposed to, you know, you know, kind of, you know, imitate the way it was back in, you know, back in the day, it was all peace and love, you know, but it ended up not being that way. I mean, people were lighting things on fire at that one. <laughs> like, yeah. it was yeah. just like. Unfortunately, we were in the grunge phase at the time, right? <laughs> was that what it was? Think, well, yeah. The, one of the, I mean, one of the concerts I remember going to during that time was uh, at Cool Low. Remember, they used to have the big mallet, and they used to have those huge mosh pits. I remember Primus was there. They played "My Name Is Mud." And, just hose the whole audience down. So I could definitely see how or why Woodstock went sideways uh, in the <laughs> 90s for sure. <laughs> yeah. oh, I was just thinking about yeah. That's a really interesting point though, Bev. Like music festival, music festivals are a fascinating microcosm for culture. I, I never thought of it that way. I got to check out that episode yeah and it was just crazy how like the person who i forget which festival it was but it was just a guy who had a farm and he just had this vision to do something huge with it this all that land instead of farming you know and he he thought of building this and he started small but just it's been going on for so long and the culture has always been the same just everyone's peaceful, you know, like they don't have riots coming out, you know, like at other kind of concerts um, that are more, I guess, money driven, you know, when it's, it's, and when it's a bunch of people coming together, listening to music, and they're there for a specific purpose of enjoying themselves and just, you know, being with each other, you know, that's, that's a really cool culture to have. And the fact that that was envisioned by just one person, you know, and, and made it happen. And it's been continuing on for so many years. I just think that's super cool. But um, it's just, it's just interesting to me that humans, you know, and especially after the pandemic, when everyone was isolated, you know, how crazy did that make people? Because human nature is just, we have this culture to want to come together you know i think in the end yeah in the end everyone right. want to wants to connect and they want to be with each other they want to work together 
sometimes it's it doesn't always work out but you know like i think that's part of human nature we want that there's a lot of um i think there's going to be a lot of interesting research around what we've done to adapt digitally in the face of the pandemic just in terms of filling that gap i was telling you about clubhouse right yeah the whole social auto social audio movement there's a whole subculture that most like a lot of people just don't know is out there in the social audio space where people are networking and connecting um, and making contacts sharing ideas on a on a global level in the way that the internet when it first kind of exploded in the 90s in the way that it was like idealized to be so <clears throat> i think that there's going to be a lot of uh, technologies and innovative uh, ideas for how to connect and still create that culture even in spaces or cases where we can't physically be there i just read that facebook is kind of doubling down on this concept of a metaverse or like a an augmented reality universe essentially it will be like the internet overlaid with what's in real life so you would be wearing these glasses kind of remember when google glass came out and it was like 20 years too early <laughs> everybody looked like super nerds for uh, being into it that's that would be me <laughs> the only person that i know that knows what google glass is no but it was like this augmented reality glass that google made maybe like i think maybe 15 years ago it projected a tiny it had a little projector in the side of it so that you could see what was being projected but nobody else could and so you could see directions like turn by turn directions or if you googled like oh how do i get to this place it would literally show you in the real world when you turn your head where it was so you could start walking in that direction and so that's kind of the idea of the metaverse facebook is facebook is saying that they're going to start building that out and i know a lot of other companies when you watch the way your kids play Fortnite, roblox or um minecraft they're all kind of building out their own version of the metaverse and that's eventually where <laughs> i think a lot of folks are going to start connecting uh, in the future the, the use case examples for how that can bring people together make people at least feel like they're closer would be basically me sitting next to you like you would in your glasses see me sitting next to you or across from you at the table versus us staring at this 2D screen together. But yeah, there's the, the possibilities for culture building uh, with, with uh, what's coming down, which, with what's um, going to be evolving in terms of technology is super exciting to me too. It's you gonna know, be like, um, uh, I was thinking space balls, but I guess that's Star Wars, right? <laughs> I love the fact, I love the fact that your hologram references Spaceballs instead of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I'm more of a fan of, I mean, <clears throat> that's the movie I probably saw first in Spaceballs <laughs> before you know, Star Wars. I'm def you make me want to watch that movie, just, <laughs> just saying Spaceballs makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> ludicrous speed yeah. go that so good yeah. let's just turn this podcast into a space balls commercial I know. <laughs> <laughs> but i just yeah the hologram thing that's neat that needs to happen that would be amazing right like think about it for consulting or um you know just like co-working spaces you could like roll over you know, like how when we're in the office, the nice thing about being in the office is you roll, you roll your chair over, you say something snarky to your coworker, make them laugh, and then you go back to work. You can't do that in, when you're working remotely, but you will be able to soon. That's going to be crazy. I can't even envision it. Like my mind doesn't even go that <laughs> far and in technology yet. <laughs> uh, I've been dreaming about this since I was like in the eighth grade. Um, <laughs> that was a super, because again, was part of the nerdy kids. Um, you were you were mentioning like is it human instinct when you were talking about the festival? I was uh, the music festivals. I was thinking about how much our experience at Kula impacted the way or the direction that I ended up in in terms of 
my work. But oh, okay. Let, let's just tell the audience because they don't know us. You know, we're just talking to each right. other because we know each other for the, forever. But Kualoa, um, 1998, which was the best summer of my entire life, by the way, till this day, still the nice. best summer of my whole freaking life. Virtual high five that one. Yeah. But we worked summer at the summer camp at Kualoa Beach, um, which is that beach right across the street from where they filmed Jurassic Park and all that kind of stuff with the big Koala mountain range in the background. But we worked the summer there where they would have three days weekend camps with all the kids from third grade through sixth grade would come. And then we were the camp counselors that took care of them for those three days of the weekend. Oh my gosh, that was like the most fun experience I ever experienced in my whole life. And okay. I just find it hilarious, Bryce, that when when we were working together, we were, you know, the same level. We're just camp counselors together. But you became like the boss of that whole organization, right? At some point. Like not, not <laughs> say the boss of the whole I became a park director, um, or a rec specialist actually after a while, who was in charge of running the summer camp, but um, the, you know, the funny thing is, I just made the connection just now. That was the direct summer right after I spent the whole year with you in LA. So in essence, I convinced you to work with me over the summer. And, um, and we kind of made that magic last for a little bit longer. <laughs> yes, it was so amazing. That was such an amazing summer. And I learned a lot, you know, like just, on how to connect with people and, you know, and just having that experience of, you know, being that person that, you know, has to be taking care of all these young people, you know, and it was just such a great experience. I, do they still have that program there? They do. Um, they're doing uh, day camps now, obviously, because COVID and yeah. um, just changes in the budget for Parks and Rec. But I, from what I understand, they're still doing kind of uh, traveling day camps where they go out to the summer fun parks and they have the staff kind of run through some of the same activities we used to do with the kids. It's not it's not the same as you know going out there and getting to spend the night. Yeah. But that whole experience to me, like, be, because I was there for so long, I, I really I really was drawn into the values. Like when that first summer that I was a camp counselor, um, you know. Our, my boss, Chris Blake, and then we had um, the other, the boss's boss, which is Pat Rath and Fujihara. Uh, they really instilled a very strong sense of, of place and purpose for what we were doing there. And um, they told that through the legends um, that they taught us. They told that through the activities that we did, like everything down to how we, how we got our food. Like, remember how we used to make the kids sing for food? Like it was all embedded, this idea of like bringing people together, having fun and really getting the best out of kids was embedded into every activity that we did. And um, I thought that was so awesome that I just gravitated right towards that. I drank the Kool-Aid and was all in for almost, I want to say almost 10 years. Wow. Um, not as a counselor for 10 years, but I was a counselor for at least five or six of those years. But seeing that, seeing the formation of new cultures every summer. So every summer you're getting a fresh batch of college kids, right? Some from that were there from before, but a new, you know, like fresh blood being pulled into this little micro community and then seeing how the power dynamics and the communication dynamics formed and forged and got stronger over the course of the summer and seeing that happen over and over really gave me kind of a strong sense of like, well, this is how you build a good team. This is how you build a bad team. This is how you, you know, um, lead responsibly. This is how you lead maybe not so responsibly um, participating in all of those examples. But um, yeah, it taught me so much about what I understand today about, you know, building teams, building trust, basically building tr building a space where there's enough trust and safety to do whatever your purpose or your mission is. Um, and that's, that's essentially um, that all, a lot, most of that came from Kula. Wow. So I'm stoked that 
I'm stoked that that's something that we experienced together. Yes, yes. I will never forget that summer. I only did it for one summer and it really impacted my life, you know, for the long haul. So what, what, okay, now we can go into like, you were talking about what Kualoa, how it led into what you're doing today. Yeah, so, I mean, when I say led, I mean, this is in retrospect, I, I realized I learned these skills, but at the time I was still lost. Like I was bouncing around from idea to idea. I had a, I was always kind of a dreamer. I still am, right? Obviously you can see how my brain works. And um, I always had a hard time focusing on what it is that I want. It was really easy for me to follow what somebody else wanted to do. It was really hard for me to really cut out all the other noise in my head because I have so much like ideas bouncing around in there and really focusing on what do I really want to do, right? So I kind of just let, let um, the wind take me where it would and I learned that way for a really long time. I ended up uh, going back to school for my master's degree and then graduated. And the, the, sole, the sole reason for that was I realized that Kula wasn't, or the city and county, I should say, wasn't a place where I was going to be able to excel as a creative person. Um, just because of the nature of a government job, they, they kind of want you to stay in your lane and you, you don't, they don't really want you to change things up all that much. It's like, what did we budget for last year is what you get to do this year and that's it, right? Um, which I totally get, but that just wasn't my bag. So. Went back for an MBA thinking I'm going to make a ton of money. I'm going to be able to have the freedom to do these creative things that I want to do, like start a graphic design company or whatever. And uh, I ended up graduating in 2008, and that was the recession. That was when Hawaii got hit really hard. And at the time, I was working at Tihati Productions as a graphic designer. You know, um, you know Tihati, like, uh, mm -mm. the family. So they're really well known for um, entertainment in Waikiki, like setting up or um, hosting events. Uh, they do, if you see like Polynesian dancing in commercials or um, movies, a lot of the times it's them and their crew that is doing that. And so I was like their uh, in-house graphic designer, putting myself through school and, um, and then I got laid off. The same, I think it was like the same month that I graduated with my master's. Oh, crazy. And so I know, and it was like, that was a dark time because <clears throat> I was not only starting to incur like these phone calls from the student loan company saying it's time to pay, pay up, right? Pay up on your debt. I didn't have a job, like a real legit job. I was working, I think three part-time coffee shop jobs I collected unemployment for the first time in my life, I think, for about three months until I got that third coffee shop job that kind of knocked me out of the eligibility to continue to collect. Um, but, you know, I ended up taking a, I had a friend, luckily for me, I had a friend who was working in hotels and he told me, just come over here and work the front desk. Like, suck it up. Suck up your pride. Come over here, work the front desk. And, um, and I did. I mean, I was like, at least somebody's going to give me a job, right? Because I was knocking on doors. I was calling everywhere. Nobody was going to hire somebody who was advertising an MBA with zero business experience um, in an economic climate where everyone was getting laid off, right? So... I was lucky to get that job, and I told I told him and everybody that would that was around me at that job like just just teach me everything because what else am, what else am I here for? I don't I'm not here for the hourly wage at this point. So because I was still having to work those extra coffee shop jobs, so I just learned as much as I could. Um, they made me the guest service supervisor. They made me the night auditor. Like I, I jumped around and tried to learn as many positions as I could. And it was at that time where the internet, um, the mobile internet at least was really starting to blow up and LinkedIn became a thing. And I remember one night on the overnight shift uh, realizing that they created this website for virtual resumes essentially. 
where your resume can live forever like Facebook that they came up with this thing and I remember filling out the my profile on the overnight shift at the Island Colony Hotel thinking that maybe someone would see that and then like a month later I checked my inbox because it's that's how it was right you didn't it, we weren't as connected as we are now right like you check it every day like a month later I logged into my LinkedIn I checked my inbox and there was a message from Holy Pacific Health saying you know we are interested in talking to you we want to bring hospitality back to the hospitals and I thought like this is a scam this is a mistake I never heard of HPH before that so I thought it was like kind of like a scam company I wasn't sure what was happening um, but I called anyway I got an interview you know, at the end of the interview, I just remember thinking, like, I don't know what a NICU is. I don't know what a PICU is. Like, I don't, I, this is a way out of my league. Um, but lo and behold, they offered me the position. And I was in a position in my life where it was, like, super scary to think about jumping into healthcare because I have no expertise. I have no knowledge of that at all. It would have been, like, starting fresh, but... The pay was almost double what I was currently making. So I just jumped in and never looked back. Yeah. And I ran that admissions department because they were hiring. That's what they're hiring for, an admissions supervisor. I ran that admissions department like I ran our summer camps. Like I made everything into a game. <laughs> everything was about like um, everything was about having fun and, and really understanding that there is most of the job that we're hired to do, we don't really like, but doesn't mean we have to hate it, you know? So trying to find engagement in the things that weren't so engaging. Um, and we did a lot of work around patient experience and improving the patient experience. So when they opened up that patient experience position, they, they tapped me on the shoulder and um, pulled me up to the, to the uh, what do you call that? the system level, so not just Kapilani, but with Pacific Health, and that's when I started doing patient experience for the clinics. Man, the person who hit you up on LinkedIn, I mean, he he did his job. She. She, she, she yeah. did her job she because, did. man, she picked the right person for the job. Like, I'm sure she probably gives herself a lot of credit for finding you because I give them credit because they were using LinkedIn at a time where that was still like brand spanking new. This is, this was before it was a thing, you know? Yeah. Implementing the, the innovative, the innovative. Yeah. that's so cool. And I remember like when I um, had my first kid, that's when I bumped into you randomly at Kapiolani hospital. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. Yep. I was like totally going the wrong to the wrong place and you kind of led me in the right place. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. I was just like, what the heck? Like, you know, that was just prior to that. I didn't see you for the longest time and it was such a nice surprise. And I was just like, wow, you're really in your element here. <laughs> I was. Yeah. I mean, I still am. Yeah. But you know, that's the hardest part about working in a hospital, especially in at Kapiolani because Everybody, there's like, you know, 50% of the mothers are going to give birth at Kapilani. So I see so many classmates and stuff, but HIPAA, right? You can't say, oh, you know who I saw at the hospital? Yeah. But like, you just can't talk about it. So a lot of those memories, when I run into people, they're very compartmentalized. And I don't even remember, it, I don't remember them at all until the person brings it up. I'm like, oh, yeah, that did happen. But I've, I've been trained so much to just kind of shut that away and not talk about it. You know, when I see people campus but yeah for sure <laughs> <laughs> remember bumping into you that day yeah but yeah that was that was definitely an experience but that's so cool that how how you came into this you know this what your career now just it's just funny how life leads you you know and you know it's just it's part of life and you know what like when you're lost and you're finally open, you know, that's when you start noticing the opportunities and, you know, like you're open to receiving like the, I love how you said that when you got that job at um, the hotel, how you're just like, you know what, I'm, 
not here for the pay. I'm just want to learn as much as I can. You know, like when you have that mentality, you have nothing to do but excel in whatever yeah, you have do. nothing. Well, I, I had nothing to lose, right? When you right. have nothing to lose, you have everything to gain. Right. I was drinking so much beer and like just wallowing in depression every day. Just, you know, asking myself, why me? You know, I see my friends being successful, my siblings. And when you have nothing to lose, you have everything to gain. You just gotta suck it up, buttercup, right? Yeah. what they yep. say. So before we end this, uh, this episode, I just wanna um, ask you, what next? Like, do you have any passion projects that you're working on that you, that you're working on outside of your nine to five, you know, like what, what are you working on? Cause you're a very creative person too, you know, like what else are you doing? That's adding to your happiness. I've got a couple side hustles. I think you have to have a side hustle. Um, so I do with uh, my brother and a nurse practitioner and his wife, uh, we're running a care home. That's a small operation, like a five bedroom uh, here staffed 24 7 with caregivers so that's kind of uh, a side project and that's also like kind of scratches the itch of culture building and you know building community fostering like a, an awesome place to just be and um, it also you know is additional income which is very helpful especially here in Hawaii and then, uh, clubhouse so I was telling you I'm getting super deep into Clubhouse and they just opened it up to the public. So if you're not on Clubhouse, check us out. Um, I host a show every Tuesday, 4.30 p.m. Um, really dedicated to the patient experience and talking about, which we like, we love to talk to patients and physicians, providers, anybody um, about their experiences, their stories of healthcare. And the idea is just to bring people together, bring a community together where administrators and providers can learn from the voice of the patient and at the same time patients can learn a little bit of perspective behind why the system seems so bad and and jumbled up um, from the you know from the operations standpoint but um that's been kind of big on my list and then the last thing is trying to get back into art i take these long breaks where expressing myself creatively and like the visual arts as much like I'm trying to get back into that it's uh it's been something that's been kind of it's been an itch that I've been wanting to scratch for a while so I'm kind of finally giving myself some time to to double down on that. yeah you know on clubhouse um can anybody participate in the conversation or do they have to be invited to speak it's super cool so um when you it's basically like all these internet chat rooms, right? Just think of internet chat rooms, but you don't get a video. It's only your profile picture. So all you see are people's heads, people's faces when you enter the room. And your head lights up if you talk. And you can only talk if you're on stage. So when you enter a room, you're automatically in the audience. You don't have to talk. There's no pressure to engage, which is what I like about it. Because you can actually literally just go in there, listen and learn, which is probably 80% of what I end up doing in Clubhouse is just listening to these really interesting conversations that I had no idea I would be interested in and just kind of learning what industry insiders are talking about in relation to that. And then there's the, if you do want to contribute to the conversation, the only thing the audience member can do is there's a little button to raise your hand. Okay. And, and if they pull you on stage because you raised your hand, then you get a microphone button. And you can I see. And talk and participate in the conference. It's really cool the way they built it. There's a bunch of Hawaii, if, if there's anybody from Hawaii on uh, listening, there's a bunch of Hawaii entrepreneurs that get together Thursday nights um, to have conversation. And I think they're trying to build the community out there too. Um, yeah, there's definitely lots of opportunities. I, I like to look at Clubhouse as the associations of the future. You know, we don't have the kind of time, I think the previous generations did, to be sitting on boards and joining associations like if you used to you just especially if you live in Hawaii, like i said everybody's got one or two extra side hustles so clubhouse is kind of a nice way to squeeze that um, community building culture building and um, learning about your industry into little pockets where you can afford to um, give your attention right 
And um, as far as your art, you did illustrate, do the illustrations for a children's book. Um, did. I thought that was so cool, Bryce. Like, and that's not your only a book that you've done illustrations for, right? Didn't you do art here for a cover? There, yeah, here and there, like people will ask, like um, one of my friends, Jeff, he was um, editor for Hawaii Review for a while. So I got to do a couple covers there. I did cover art for like one or two other books and then did the children's book. But the children's book was definitely my most fun project because it was my cousin who wrote the book and it, and it was about my niece. So I really had kind of like a more intimate relationship with the content and that was fun. That was yeah. definitely a fun project to like think about what kids want to see. Mm -hmm. And you're definitely on like, I don't know, you're, even though you know we're all grown up now, you still have that childlike eyes. You know you can still see in, through a child's eyes, and I've always loved that about you. What what, what about you, Beth? I know creatively, um, you've always you know had ways to express yourself. And uh, are you still you know jamming on a regular basis? Um, you know I. I don't spend enough time on it, but yes, it's not so much live like how I used to. I used to do the whole coffee coffee shop playing guitar thing. Uh, I don't have time to do that a whole lot, but which is, I, I kind of love that you can film yourself like off of your phone, whoops, because that's the way to do it now. Like if I want to yeah. learn a song, I just practice and then I film myself, you know, at least that way I can remember what I did, you know, like that I can watch it again and, I can share it on YouTube if I want to, or Facebook, you know? So I do play, but it's it's literally only for that kind of audience, a virtual audience. And I don't really put myself out there very much, but it, it gives me an excuse to still practice. And um, I'm starting to learn how to play the bass a little bit and electric guitar. So that's fun. Get, you know, you know, learn how to do garage band a little bit. And, you know, editing videos so you can collaborate with other people is probably what I like to do the most. And and I usually do it with my sister and a couple of friends in L.A. So we can be all over the country and we can create a video and put it together and sing together, which, awesome. yeah, I love that. I love that. It's so easy now for us to do. Do you and your sisters do that a lot? Do you guys collaborate a lot virtually on music? Not a lot, but we do. Yeah, that's something that, you know, we have to plan more to do it more regularly because it, it always feels good after we do something like that. So musically, yes, that way. Artistically painting, the last time I painted was during the two months of quarantine. <laughs> I had so mm. much time on my hands. I was very artistic during that time. And I have all kinds of ideas that I want to do. It's just a matter of, you know, it's always hard to schedule that time of being creative because once you get in the zone, you don't want to get up, you know, yeah. and then all of a sudden just you're like, yeah. it's hard. You have to schedule that time, you know, to be creative. But once you're in the zone of being creative, you don't want to get up. And next thing <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, I was supposed to do this and that. And you didn't do any of it, you know? I know. That's the <laughs> hardest part. That's the part I love is getting in that flow but then that's the hardest part is you lose so much time because you're like oh my gosh it's one in the morning yeah what exactly or my yeah. kids are like i'm hungry you know and you're like oh my god i didn't feed them for like hours <laughs> my now if anything that my kids learned during the pandemic the quarantine it was um life skills like they they learned how to cook they learned how to use the <laughs> microwave they learned how to vacuum use the dishwasher i taught them all of that because I'm, I'm a busy person you know i do a lot so they're at, that age, at their age that they can handle a lot on their own they try to milk it you know but they i was like you know what to do <laughs> i'll hold up your kids during quarantine I love it. yeah yeah but anyways uh, this is a good place to end the interview. I really, really appreciate you, Bryce, for coming on the show. Like you are just uh, amazing. And I definitely want to collaborate with you more on um, uh, whether it's on Clubhouse or, you know, I got music. a bunch of ideas. Yeah. yeah. Cool. We're going to have to do something because um, I definitely want an excuse to interact with you more regularly on a regular yes. basis. <laughs> yes. 
So thank you well, so much, Bryce. I appreciate thank it. Thank you for giving me the chance to tell my story. I am very grateful. Thank you, Pat. Awesome. So thank you everyone for coming and you know visiting us on Dark Horse Matters. Um, if you like this episode, please you know don't forget to like it and share it with your friends because you never know. Like when you watch this, you hear people's stories. You know, like sometimes it could just be that one person that opens your eyes to something that you never saw in yourself before. You know, and if it motivates you to take action and do something about going after something you're passionate about, it, I mean, it could really change your life forever. So thanks again. And, you know, I look forward to seeing you next week. Everybody be passionate.